The title of the message this morning is The Value of a Child. That's not necessarily a children's message, but children, I want you to understand how much what God thinks of you as a child. And admittedly, this message came as I from some allegations of child abuse that I heard again recently. And I just got to thinking about this whole issue. What does God think? How do we value our children? What is the value of a child? Well, as I thought about that, thought about, well, how do you place a value on a child? So I did a little bit of research, and there's some information out there. Um, USDA.gov has been, there's a website, and the, and the USDA has been tracking the cost of raising a child for, sure, for quite a while now. And in 2015, they say a family will spend approximately $12,980 annually per child in a middle income, which is $59,207,000 income. Family with that kind of income. A two-child married couple family will spend about $12,980 per year per child. which from the time they're born to the time they're 17, I guess at 18 they're past what they consider a child, so they didn't figure the cost past 18. But So in that amount of time, they figure that you'll spend $233,000 per child. And if you project for um, inflation, it, it moves up to $284,000 in the next 17 years if you had a child in 2015. Now, young parents, don't just give up. Don't get scared because of those numbers. They did say that it doesn't always cost that, and the more children you have, the cheaper they are. They admit that because you start, you know, you don't have to buy everything new for each child, and, and housing costs start to water down because there's more under one roof, that type of thing. But that does not include college. That's simply the cost of raising a child. So is that how you rate the, the worth of a child? Is it worth $284,000? Well, I thought about adoption costs. What does it cost to adopt a child? Well, a private adoption, that's in America, one family adopting a child from another. Basically, simple adoption. They say it will be about twenty to forty-five thousand dollars. I I can't not understand why it should cost that much, but it does. International adoption that'd be adopting someone from China or Russia, or, you know, bringing a child across the waters, <clears throat> is anywhere from twenty-five to seventy thousand dollars. So, is the cost of a child what they're actually worth? And of course, we would all say no. It that's ridiculous. So what value do you place on the children in your life, and how important are they to you? Well, what value does God place on children? How important are children to God? 
So I have 10 points to the message this morning, and each point has a verse or verses in Scripture that talk about what a child is worth, what God, the, the value God places on children, and what we as adults can learn from that. And please bear with me. It's a lot of references to turn to. Um, we'll be going through a good many references this morning. And the first one, the first point is God cares about unborn children. And we can be turning to Psalm 139, verses 13 to 17. There are couples that can't have children or have had multiple miscarriages. Does God care? Yes, God does care. God sees what's going on. He doesn't always intervene in the course of nature. He doesn't always give us what we want. But he always has a plan for what he does. We may not understand it. We may not agree with God's plan. But God knows why he allows what he allows in your life. God does care about unborn children. Psalm 139 verses 13 to 17. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in my, thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! God cares about every unborn child. And he knows every member of every unborn child. Every, how that child is being formed. And they're not a mistake. Look at verse 16. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. When we were a blob, God knew what we were going to be like. God knows what's going on, and he has a plan. Now, I'm going to tell you a story that's not in Scripture but it's Jewish history. David himself wrote this psalm. David himself was a mistake. People look at children as a mistake sometimes. David, according to Jewish history, was not, was not intentional, was not a wanted child. So you say, what? Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. There's a lot behind that verse. There's a lot of history there. History has it that Jesse, David's father, and his wife, Nitzavit, David's mom, have been estranged for many years. And there's a lot of speculation behind why that was. But Jesse started a relationship with one of his servant girls. And the servant girl knew how much Nitzavit wanted a relationship with Jesse and how much she wanted another child. 
So this servant girl offered to let Nitzavit trace places with her for one night. And Jesse never realized what had happened. But David was conceived. It was assumed by all that Nitzavit was an adulterous woman and that David was illegitimate. David and Nitzavit were rejected and shunned until David's anointing by Samuel. History has it that he never could even eat with the family. He was at a separate table. Jesse stepped in and kept his own sons from killing their mother because they were so ashamed of their mom. When you realize this history behind what has happened, behind these verses, and there's some other Psalms that we could go to, but when you realize that portion of what happened in David's life, they make a lot more sense. I mean, they made sense in the first place, but when you hear, it's like, wow. In fact, they would send David away. They would send him to the furthest fields, the most dangerous fields, hoping that he would be killed by a lion or a bear. He was a shepherd in the furthest fields. And now you understand why he said, I killed a lion and a bear with my bare hands? He did. And there was a reason he did, because they were kind of hoping he'd get killed, because he was a misfit. He was a mistake. He was not a mistake. At his anointing, it was so clear to everyone that God had called him that they realized he couldn't have been a mistake. And they accepted Nitzavit and David back in as legitimate, best I could tell from what I read. It wasn't until his anointing that they accepted, they were accepted back. There are no mistakes in God's eyes. God saw David for who he really was. Even in his imperfections, God saw him for what he could be in God's kingdom. Point number two, God has a plan for every unborn child, if that child will surrender to him. Let's turn to Jeremiah 1, read verses 4, 4, and, 4 and 5. Jeremiah 1, verses 4 and 5. This is God's call to Jeremiah, and I believe it can be his call to any one of us. Maybe not exactly, but God is calling every one of us that will surrender to him. Verse 4, Then the, Lord, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Why would any other child not be just that precious to God? God knew how Jeremiah could be used because he knew how Jeremiah was going to surrender. God has a plan for every unborn child if that child will give their life to him. Now, not everyone's going to be a prophet to the nations, but everyone has an effect on someone else. No matter what that child is born, what deformity that child might have, no matter what, God can use them. God has a specific calling even for unborn children. Point number three, children are gifts from God. Psalm 127, we'll look at verses 3 to 5. Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. 
As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall be speak with enemies in the gate. So it's very common today for children to be looked at as an annoyance or as a burden or as some, you know, just something we have to deal with. But that's not God's perspective. We should see them the way God sees them, the potential in every child's life. Every child has unlimited potential in the kingdom of God. Look back at verse 4. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. When you think of a child being an arrow that you are sending out into the world for God, do you have, once you release that arrow, do you have any control of it? We don't. It has unlimited potential in what it can do for the kingdom. That's every child. Every child has unlimited potential in God's kingdom. Are children important? They are. Point number four, children show us how to follow God. Let's, look, let's turn to Mark 10. Mark 10, verses 13 to 16. <clears throat> And they brought young children to him that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Is it possible that we could do what the disciples were doing? That we today could do the same thing? Push our children away from God? These children show, were showing the disciples how to be who God wants them to be. For of such is the kingdom of God. Children have a simple faith. You know, last evening that lightning struck and it scared some of our children. But when we realized that, you know what, that was close, but God protected us. Oh, yeah. He did, didn't he? Simple faith. Is our faith as adults like that? Oh, that every one of us could have the faith that little children are able to simply accept who God is and how much he loves them. Point number five, children show us how to be great in God's kingdom. Matthew 18, verses 1 to 5. And if I have a text um, for the message, it would be Matthew 18, verses 1 through 11. We'll go through all those verses. Right now I want to look at Matthew 18, verses 1 to 5. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him on in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one of such one such little child in my name receiveth me. Let that settle into your mind a little bit. If you can't accept God, accept the kingdom of heaven the way a child does, you can't enter it. If you can't have the simple faith of a little child, you can't enter it. And if you're receiving, taking care of a child, you're taking care of Jesus. The key to greatness in God's kingdom is found in the humbleness of a little child. Children are often very quick to say, I'm sorry, and to forgive, forget, and go on. And children are much quicker to accept people for who they are. Or, you know, instead of judging by skin color or how they look, they just, who a person is, is how, that's how they accept them. I'll give you a little example. This little, little girl went to first day of kindergarten, and she got home that evening, and the mom, her mom said, so how'd your day at kindergarten go? Oh, she was so excited. Mom, I made a brand new friend. She is so fun to be with. And she was telling her all about this new friend. And the mom knew this school was an integrated school. It had lots of different ethnicities there. So she asked the little girl, she said, well, what color was she? Well, I don't know. You know, can we be that way? Can we simply accept people for who they are, no matter what they look like, no matter if their hair is pink or blue? It doesn't matter. God sees and we, we can accept people the same no matter what is going on in their lives. As a child, it's a challenge. Number six, children bring perfect praise. Matthew 21, verses 15 and 16. Children bring perfect praise. Verse 15, and when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased and said unto him, Hearst thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? I love good singing. I love good four-part harmony. But when you hear a child singing with just a heart full of joy, that just blesses God's heart. And I hope it blesses ours. I've said at the school program, and there's specific children that you can see are just vibrant in there, just singing at the just with every iota of they have. And then there's some that are not so much. But it just, 
when you see a child just loving what they're doing, just loving to sing. And some of you people, young people here, I remember seeing you up there singing. And it was that way. Oh, it's great to see you just praising God. Are we missing something, adults? Are we missing that? Or is God hearing that kind of praise come out of our hearts? You see, children really do bring perfect praise to God. Number seven, the children are precious to God. Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verses 6 to 11. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man, man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off. Cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life, halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if then I offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven." Have you ever noticed what context that's written in? I had missed it. Look at verse 6 and verse 10. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck. Go down to verse 10. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. What context is that written in? It's the context of offending a little one. And that little one there has more than just a child. It means a young believer, someone who is immature in the faith, someone who our actions can push them away from God. This offending has the thought of causing to sin or to turn from God. And I looked a little bit at this word offend in Greek, and it's the word skandalizo, I think, that's how you say it, in Greek. And I would assume from that that's sort of where our word scandalize comes from in the English. But it's Greek 4624, if you're a Greek student, and it comes from, from 4625. 4624 means to entrap or to trip up or to entice to sin or to lead into apostasy or to offend. There's more to that, but that's sort of a condensed version of what it means. 4625, from which we get 4624, is scandal. And it has the thought of a trap stick or a bent sapling. You take people who are into trapping animals, they would take a sapling and bend it over and hook it, tie a snare to it, and when, a, when the animal goes through the snare and jerks on the twig a little bit, the, snap, the sapling yanks up and there hangs the animal. 
That's what this thought has. It means to snare or to figuratively cause of displeasure or sin. An occasion to fall, an offense, things that offend, or a stomach block. Now, when you think of a snare, a snare traps or hurts whatever it catches. And often, it ends up killing its prey. That's where children end up. There are some that end up there, trapped and often dead spiritually because of what someone else introduces into their lives or does to them. And Jesus is saying that it would be better for someone to be killed by drowning. And in this time, the Romans were the only ones that did that. And it was, a, it was a, one of, outside of crucifixion, it was a form of humiliation to be millstone tied around your neck and thrown in the sea. That was a Roman way of killing people, of humiliating them when they killed them. And it was, people were terrified of it. But Jesus is saying it's better to have that happen, to be humiliated and killed, than to suffer the consequences of leading or driving a child or young believer away from God. In verses 7 to 9, follow on with the same thought. Jesus had introduced the thought of, of um, offenses. And verses 7 and 9 follow on with the same thought. It's better to suffer much physical pain or discomfort here on earth to keep from offending someone else or leading someone else astray or even ourselves. It's better to suffer here than for eternity. But verse 10 finishes with the thought that even our guardian angels in heaven who see the face of God are watching to see how we treat these little ones. That's accountability. That's accountability like we don't understand here. The angels are watching. Anyone who offends or drives a little one, an immature Christian, a child away from God will be held accountable. Even on a state level, governmental level, child abuse dare not ever be covered up. It is such a serious thing that any accusation of any illegal activity that is brought to any authority, and that includes us as ministry, if you're a school teacher, any type of authority, if you're an authority and that is brought to your attention, you are required by law to report it. We are required by law to report it. It, cannot, it can't be covered up. We will be held accountable. You will be held accountable by the state if it's covered up. If it is brushed over, put, you can't, it's, you, you cannot cover up that kind of thing. And, but much more than that, that's very light in comparison to what we just read about in these verses. That we, their angels, are holding us accountable before God. Even if, it was cover, even if it's covered up here on earth, 
and not dealt with, we will be held accountable in eternity. It is much better to face that judgment here than to face it for eternity. Number eight, God rewards those who take care of children. Let's turn to Matthew 10, verse 42. Matthew 10, verse 42. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Now I don't understand the in the name of a disciple thing. There was different things that they would do in the name of someone else. But we live our lives in the name of Jesus, right? It's sort of how our mantra, we do everything for the honor and glory of Jesus. At least I hope you do. A cup of water given to a young believer or to a child because you love the Lord will not go unrewarded. Mothers, you hear that? I know mothering is a hard job. It is taxing to the unteenth at times. It's almost more than mothers can take it at some points. It's okay. Remember this verse. It will not go unrewarded. God sees and God cares even about the cup of water given because you love the Lord. Number nine. And this sort of balances out what we just were talking about. You see, we've gotten an error, and it's in our churches. There's been such a focus by some on child abuse that we've forgotten what I'm going to talk about here. Number nine. Children need discipline to become who God wants them to be. Children need discipline to become who God wants them to be. Proverbs 22, verse 15. We could probably quote this verse, but I don't want to turn there so I don't get it wrong. Proverbs 22, verse 15. I think there's more scriptures that we could turn to, but this is the simplest, most straightforward. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. And we're kind of pulling that out of a whole list of things about people, people issues. Children have issues too. They need to be dealt with. And we need to remember that there is a push in our churches to not discipline children because it's child abuse. There's a difference between abuse and discipline. Godly discipline, discipline done out of love for the child is not abuse. Ungodly discipline done out of anger is abuse and can damage a child, but discipline done out of love for that child and care for, its, for that child's future is not abuse. In fact, the Bible commands it because if you don't, if you don't discipline your children when they need it, when that rebellion shows its head, when that child refuses to obey, if we don't discipline and help that child to overcome that, that's not going to go away. It's going to continue to follow that child. And if you don't teach them, 
The authorities will have to one day. Discipline is extremely important. Somebody is going to teach that child to submit. Somebody is going to teach our children to be a law-abiding citizen. If we don't, it's going to happen later by authorities that we don't want dealing with our children. Godly discipline at a very young age saves a lot of grief when they get older. But don't ever let that discipline, that godly discipline, be warped into something that it should not be. Number 10, God does not forget his children. Isaiah 49, verses 15 to 16. Isaiah 49, verses 15 to 16. Now, this, the context of these verses is talking about Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, God's apple of his eye That's in the Old Testament. But I think it's very applicable, and I'll tell you why in a little bit, it's very applicable to us today. Let's read verses 15 and 16. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. And there's, there's other, um, there's other ch- translations that would say it. Yea, I have drawn a picture of you on my hands so that I don't forget you. Now, that, was, that, was, that prophecy was to Jerusalem. But when we read that, what's the imprint on the hands of Jesus today? Why are those prints there? They're there because he loves us and he cares about us. And they're still there today. He still bears those marks because he loves us. I think it was more than just Jerusalem. I think he was, this prophecy had, was a dual prophecy. And it was a dual meaning. One is to prove to us God doesn't forget us. Those prints are in his hands today to remind us, to remind him of us, his children. He drew a picture on his hand, if you want to say, of us. Born-again believers are those children. He's not just talking about little children there. You know, all these verses that we've been looking at can apply to every one of us. You are a child of God. If you're a child of God, God cares about you just as much as he cares about the little children. Galatians 4, 6, and 7 Let's turn there yet. Galatians 4, verses 6 and 7. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, or in our words, Daddy. Therefore, wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You are God's child. Does God care about children? Yes, he does. And you're one of them. Isn't it wonderful to know that in God's eyes, every born-again believer is a child? And he is just as protective of us 
as he wants us to be of our little ones. Kind of gives the heart of how God sees us when he, when he asks us to take care of his little ones, of these little ones, he's doing the same for us. Let's treasure the treasures that God has given us. And children, there's going to be some treats in the back for you all. And there may be enough for the older children too. Let's have a song.